This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So it's my pleasure to do a wonderful introduction today. And a few weeks ago, we did a, a service. And what we looked at is rippers versus weavers. Now, quick quiz for the audience. Is it better to be a ripper or a weaver? A weaver. And it's my privilege today to introduce, I think, one of the true weavers in the Philadelphia area. And it's all right if I share a quick story with you. You know, Dan more than once has shared something over the radio that just has essentially changed my ministry in so many different ways. And I remember this, you know, a few years back, Dan was, was talking about going to a funeral of somebody who was wheelchair bound. And Dan said, yeah, you know, you know this, yeah, Chuck, he wasn't actually talking to me, but he was. He said, you know, what he said was so profound because what he told me, he said, like heaven to him is this. And listen to this. Listen, listen, listen. listen. Heaven to him is this. Heaven to him is not the idea for this man that Dan was talking about of being like freed from a wheelchair, able to run around, though that's a blessed thing. It was a place where it didn't matter who was in a wheelchair and who wasn't. That's the kind of weaving world that we try to create here at New Church Live. That's why it's such a privilege, such an honor to welcome Dr. Dan Gottlieb to our stage here at New Church Live. Please give him a warm round of applause. Thank you. You know, Chuck, I hear that kind of introduction and words like privilege and honor, and I'm thinking, I'm still little Danny Gottlieb from Atlantic City, you know. <laughs> um, I love New Yorker comics, and the one, one of the many that I remember is there's two vultures sitting on a wire, just doing what vultures do, waiting. And one turns to the other and he says, screw patience, let's go kill something. Um, watch this, I'm going to make it relevant. (laughs) So the talk is really today about knowing your truth, who you are, who you're not, and giving it voice. The vulture did it, It was called instinct. When humans do it, it's called courage. So, um, I'm not going to talk to you about what's on my mind, because what's on my mind is, you know, thinking about the future and worrying about it and making plans for stuff that will never happen or thinking about the past and kind of redoing the past, Um, it's a mind, you know. Am I the only one whose mind works? No. I got nervous for a minute. Um, That's what minds do, but they're doing it in an effort, misguided effort, to keep us safe feeling safe. Unfortunately, our racing minds do the opposite. 
our minds, our body minds, are a source of great love, well-being, compassion, generosity, and gratitude. Our body minds are also a source of anxiety, of rage, of fear, of vulnerability, of depression. That's our minds, too. Too often, the part of our minds that are anxious, frightened, and vulnerable wind up in the driver's seat of our lives. What I often say to my patients is, you are paying homage, you are kneeling down at the altar of anxiety. So you say to yourself, if I don't go out, I won't feel anxious. If I accomplish this, I won't be anxious, and I'll finally feel safe. If I avoid that, I won't be anxious, and I'll feel safe, and it all fails. What we want is not to kill the anxiety we never will, and not to avoid it, but not to put it in the driver's seats of our lives. Have love and compassion in the driver's seat of our lives. Now, easier said than done. Um, so, if we take ownership of the anxiety, our vulnerability, or fear, it can be like, you know, the cousin you have that it, you really don't like in your house, but he comes and he stays as long as he wants, and he leaves. That's what it is. I, I was at dinner with uh, friends a couple years ago, and, and my mind started working. Um, you don't fit in here. Um, you don't get a lot of what they're saying. You can't hear well. You're different from them. And all of a sudden, I woke up to what I was saying to myself. And I thought, damn, it's back again. I hope it doesn't last too long. That's all. That's all you can do. It's part of who I am. I don't want to kill it. I don't want to silence it, because I will fail. Just take ownership. It's part of who I am. Just part of who I am. So. Um, I want to talk about something in the Bible. Um, no, Chuck didn't make me do it, but... <laughs> and I'm not a biblical scholar, so if there's anybody here that is, give me a break here. Early on in the Bible, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves. 
Why? It's the first human emotion we learn about in the Bible. And what's the emotion when you cover yourself with fig leaves? Shame. First human emotion in the Bible is shame. They weren't hiding their genitalia, or they were, but they were hiding parts of themselves because they felt shame or, or potential shame. Why? Why do we need to protect ourselves from shame? Of course we need some shame so we can fit socially, but why do we need it? All the shame we carry. And why is it so, so, so painful? Shame. That so many of us devote our lives to avoiding it. What makes it so painful? So, another cartoon I saw in one of my journals, journals, magazines. Um, it's a Ziggy cartoon. You remember Ziggy? I don't know if they're still writing about him, but he, you know, he's like the Charlie Brown. Um, so there's a picture, one frame of him laying on the um, psychiatrist's couch and the psychiatrist saying, Ziggy, it has taken me longer to cure your guilt complex than any other patient. And then the next frame, the psychiatrist is saying, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> That's the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is about what you've done. Shame is about who you are. Who you are. So, like Adam and Eve, you and I hide parts of ourselves, or all of ourselves, the parts that we're so ashamed of. My story involves a confession here. I'm a liar, and I've lied my whole life. My hunch is most of you have also. Nothing personal. By the time I was in third grade, I was a school failure. And it got worse. And I lied to my friends throughout my school life about my grades. Um, it got to a point where I forgot what I told them. But I lied so I could feel like one of them. But when you lie, you don't. The opposite happens. I was sexually abused by my seventh grade teacher. I was 12. So when my friend said to me, have you ever been to his house? I lied. I said no. Um, I fell down on my first college. I didn't tell anybody. I lied about that. And because of these 
lies. I felt profoundly alone in this world. We all do, it's inevitably. I was surrounded by people who really cared about me. And I cared about them. But I didn't feel their compassion. I didn't feel their love because, like Brene Brown says, I didn't feel worthy of love. Because all the stuff I was hiding. So, what happens now? I was hiding something I was ashamed of. But I really wasn't hiding something. I was hiding me. I was afraid to show who I was, so I hid between my mask of competence and strength. I don't think I'm alone. I was afraid of experiencing the shame of being known. Not realizing that I felt that shame anyway my whole life. So many people I know are plagued by that fear of shame. And this is the message of the critical judge in our heads. Or is it just me that has a critical judge? Yeah. They beat you pretty badly, don't they? It's about shame or avoiding shame. If you do this, then you won't be ashamed, you won't be exposed. If you don't do that, if you live up to this, if you, if you finally become the person you think you should be, and then you'll feel okay. You won't have to worry about shame. People won't see you as a weak or, or a failure. That doesn't work, does it? Because we can never become the people we think we should be. Relax. You'll never get there. Because where you're going to wind up, I hope, I pray, where you're going to wind up is simply being the person you are. And like Brene Brown said, that's more than good enough. It's more than good enough. It's a blessing. It's divine to simply be who you are. So, because so many people feel shame, I see in my office all the time. They feel shame about their weight or their appearance or their height or they feel shame because they're not married. They feel shame because they're staying in a marriage that they shouldn't be. They feel shame because they left a marriage. They feel 
shame that they don't have children. They feel shame that their children are, God forbid, average. <laughs> I had a guy years ago say to me, he said, my mother told me I could be anything I want to be. I said, bad news. Your mother was wrong. <laughs> you can. You can be who you are. So um, I don't remember the first time I felt exposed like that. Um, but I have become an expert on shame. Um, you know, I read a lot about it, but my real expertise came on December 20th, 1979. I'm looking at uh, my 40th anniversary right around the corner. That's when I became a quadriplegic, and then my shame went on steroids. Ashamed of who I was? My God. I was ashamed of how I looked. I was ashamed of what I could and couldn't do. I was ashamed of my worthlessness. As a human being, I felt such shame that all I wanted to do was close my eyes and never wake up. So like I said, I don't remember the first time my shame was exposed. It was probably, I don't know when, a, a friend had to help me because my blood pressure was too high or too low. But I remember the most important, the most poignant. I was seeing a 17-year-old young woman and she was there because she felt shame. I don't remember what it was about, you know, pimples or, or whatever it was, doesn't, doesn't matter. And of course, she was beautiful, like almost all 17-year-olds. And she was suffering so. She was so violent with her poor self that, you know, I, I knew better than to tell her how she looked. Um, that's a parent's job, is to say stuff that's not effective. Um, <laughs> I'm a parent, I know. So I, my heart broke for this woman suffering. And I just bowed my head trying to absorb this for her. And as I bowed my head down, I saw that my catheter came off and my, and my pants were wet. And I felt such extraordinary shame 
more than I would for an adult either gender. Even more shame than I think I would have if it was a 17-year-old boy sitting across. I don't know, but it was something. And I, I, I felt such shame, I couldn't pick my head up to look her in the eye. And of course, she saw what was going on. She saw my wet pants. And I looked up at her, and I felt such shame that my eyes were moist. I was near tears. And without a word, she came up to me and held me, put her arm around me, and put my head on her chest. I'm moved to tears now when I think about it. That's it. Two vulnerable human beings together caring for each other in their vulnerability. There's a, a marquee on a church around the corner from me that said, God is one. Well, my interpretation is that when two are as one, that's divine. That's divine. Um, so, several years later, I gave a uh, lecture, and my catheter bag sprung a leak. And I was really embarrassed because I didn't know what to do. I was in the middle of a lecture, and I didn't know what to do. And, and I kept looking down, and, and the puddle kept getting bigger, and I felt more ashamed. And then at the end, I didn't know what to do, and people were coming up on stage and didn't see, and I, I just I wanted to race out of there. And the second I could, of course, I did. And I didn't say anything to anybody. I was too ashamed. So you know what I did in my next lecture? I talked about my past lecture. I talked about what happened to me. And when I did that, I didn't fear it happening anymore. I exposed my vulnerability. And that took care of my fear, my fear of shame. So in 1985, I was in the depths of my depression. And a uh, woman asked if she could come to my office. And that woman's name was um, Marty Moscoane, I think. And she was producing this little show called Family Matters, and I had been a guest on the show. She just loved, you know, what I did there. And, and depth of my depression. And she asked me to host the show. Now, an average person would have had the good judgment to say, no, I can't handle that right now. Instead, I hear my mother's voice 
is saying, schmuck, do it. <laughs> so I said yes. Couple of, and, and now we're talking about 1985, and we weren't visible. We quadriplegics, we wheelchair-bound people, we weren't visible. And we were still a subject of ridicule. Um, we were invalids and cripples. Invalid, invalid. That's who we were. And I was afraid that if anybody knew that I was a quadriplegic listening to the radio, they would just turn the radio off. Um, so I didn't. And then one day, I was reading something in the back. I was with Marty, and I was reading something in preparation for the show. And it was just like my whole youth, my academic career. I read a paragraph three times, and it wasn't going in. And I said, Marty, will you read this paragraph to me? And she did, and I got it. And in that moment, I said, my god, I've got a learning disability. That explains all my failures that I was so ashamed of my whole life. But back then, there was no such thing as learning disability. You were, you were either lazy or dumb. I mean, that's what. Anyway, um, I felt such relief. And of course, I wanted to know more about learning disabilities. So um, we scheduled a guest who was an expert on learning disabilities. I used that show for my own education. And, but it was in that show that I, quote, confessed that I had a learning disability. And um, a few weeks later, um, we had um, Christopher Reeve on the show. And he talked about what it was like for him, and that's when I said that I was a quadriplegic. Um, and I talked about what it was like, all the stuff I've told you. Nobody hung up. I mean, turned off their radios. Instead, the opposite happened. People called in. They were more vulnerable. They were grateful to me for being more human. And, and over the course of the show, I talked about my history of depressions and my insecurity and my anxiety and who I really am. And the response was people opened up their hearts to me. Look, the hunger to be known exceeds even the hunger to be loved. We cannot feel loved unless we feel open, vulnerable, and known. See, shame is like mold. It grows in the dark, and sunlight kills it. So I want to talk about courage. Um, 
Brene Brown reminds us that courage in Latin, it begins, the root is Latin for C-U-R, which is heart. It is the heart. Courage is the ability to speak from the heart. Kind of like that vulture. But he wasn't speaking from his heart. He was speaking from his little bird belly. Courage is about allowing yourself to be vulnerable. I googled the phrase, I stand naked before you. And I found that was the name of a memoir. That is a line in a prayer. And it's a line in a book called All the Truth That's in Me. I stand naked before you with all my failures and successes, with my fragility, my insecurity, my depression. I stand naked before you with my mediocrity and my profound respect for everything I don't know, the depth and breadth of my ignorance. See, courage isn't about strength. Courage is about being comfortable with your, quote, weakness. That's courage. That's strength, is to be who you are. That's strength. That's courage. Um, fear is about holding on. And when the fear increases, we hold on more tightly to our beliefs. We see it in the political discourse, right? As fear increases, we hold on more tightly. And then we feel so much fear that we feel at risk from other. Fear has us clutching. Courage is like faith. Courage is about letting go and letting go again and finding respect and compassion for who we really are. Courage is about having the courage to love fearlessly, to love without fear of being hurt, because you might be. Loving, knowing, knowing that you're okay because you have faith. Love fearlessly. Courage is about the willingness to stand naked before you despite the consequences. And when we no longer have anything to hide, then we can feel loved for who we are and not for who we should be. We can feel loved. And then we can love more easily 
and we can love more often. And then we can look in the eyes of a stranger and see his or her humanity, their insecurities, their suffering, their wish for well-being and love, their humanity. So how to change? Begins with self-compassion. It's what I've been addressing this whole time. Look in the mirror, in the eyes of that person looking back to you, and see if you can see their childhood. See if you can see their history of suffering. See if you can see how good a person is looking back to you and you, a person who's tried their best their whole lives to do the right thing, a person with a tender heart. See if you can see that. Because if you look hard enough and deep enough in those eyes, you'll find your soul and then you can do that with others. Once you can feel kindness with yourself. So, I want to hear comments, reactions, questions, and disagreements. We have a few minutes. I have no idea how few minutes, because I wasn't looking at the clock. First off, just thank you, Dan. questions. Angela's here with the microphone. If you're interested in asking a question, just raise your hand and she'll be around. Hi, I'm Claire. Uh, thank you very much. You really touched my heart and you really helped me because I, I, um, I'm vulnerable now, and I don't know how to handle it, you know? And I have a lot of shame about things, and ridiculous shames, you know? Absolutely ridiculous. And um, so I have a, a, a plan, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to write down, I am ashamed of, name it, make a big list. I'll probably have 13 pages. And then I can just put it in my God box and let him take care of my shame, you know? Um, I just thank you very much because you really lifted me up and I'm really happy that I'm here. And I'm, I'm glad to get to know you. I'm glad to hear about your humanity, Claire. Thank you. What a wonderful talk, doctor. Thank you. Um, my question to you is how quickly do you catch that head bully or saboteur um, to kind of, so it doesn't ruin your day? Um, 
I am so lucky that that rarely happens anymore. Um, 72 years old. My God, how I've suffered. My God, how I've loved. How this body that is been so stressed over all these years and continues to grow weaker. This body has done everything it can to bring me to this moment, to have a discussion with you. I am so grateful to this body, to this heart, to this mind that enables me to be here now. Critical judge, I'm a good guy. And sometimes I'm an a-hole. <laughs> My daughters will tell you that. <laughs> Repeatedly. But I'm a, I'm a good guy. I, I don't beat myself up anymore. It's very rare. When, when I do, um, I'm very verbal, you know. I can, I can pick it up and talk about it. And what I do then is, you know, I just hold my hand over my heart, this quivering, painful heart. And I just hold my hand over it with, with love. Um, I'm a meditator. I've been meditating every day for 20 years, almost every day. Um, and I, I practice, you know, self-compassion. And um, I, I practice compassion for others. And, you know, it's like anything else. The more you practice, the better you get at it. Thanks for your question. Anybody else? Question? Now I've got something I want to say. Just a minute. Yeah. So with practicing vulnerability often comes empathy and compassion for others. How do you deal with the empathy overwhelm you get where it feels like you're almost being burned by everyone else's painful experiences? Oh, not at all. Not at all. Um, it just opens my heart. I mean... Look, I've been practicing this. In May, it'll be 50 years. And at first I did, of course. You know, and, and I did this childish rescuing, too. But now I understand from personal and professional experience that when we suffer, what we need most is someone with the willingness to just sit next to us and be with us and try to understand us and care. I know the value of that personally and professionally. So that's what I do. Um, and when I think about them, you know, I just feel that way afterwards. I'm very fortunate. Um, and, you know, 
Look, my patients know about my vulnerability and my anxiety. They've, most of my patients, not most, many of my patients, you know, have been there when, you know, my, my bag leaked on, on the floor or, you know, when I spilled coffee all over me or, you know, it's, it's who we are. You know, it's who we are. Um, I would like to read a poem by Ellen Bass. She's a wonderful poet. Anyway, this poem is called Cold. On this early morning in Vancouver, my son and I stop on our way to breakfast when we hear the Kenyan will soon be running past this corner. Of course, we want to see his gorgeous stride. But after an hour and a half, I'm shivering in my thin sweater. Then my son begins to rub my back, offering the heat of his palms. What could be better than to stand there hungry and be curried like this? If I hadn't been cold, I wouldn't have had his hands on my spine flaring across my shoulder blades for a moment. It seems possible that every frailty, every pain could be an opening, a crack that lets the unexpected reach us. How can I remember that? when I'm old and need so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Quick word from our somebody who watches online. <laughs> this is from Don. Most of my life, I've been wrapped up in trying to not look ill or let my illness be seen by other people. And in the past three years, I have lost so much ability in being different from other people. This man's story is amazing to me. God knew what I needed this today. Could someone please let him know that he made a difference to me today? From Don. Don, how fortunate we both are. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Chuck. So please give Dan another round of applause as the band gets ready for the next one. So, again, thank you, folks, for coming. Thank you to Dr. Dan. Again, he's going to have his book out there in the lobby if you'd like to read more about this amazing man's journey and the journey of weaving. And I want to share an idea with you, a beautiful concept. The human soul, says Parker Palmer, doesn't want to be advised, fixed, or saved. It simply wants to be witnessed, to be seen, heard, companioned, exactly how it is. I think that's a beautiful line, and that's, I think, echoes so much of what our souls want. They want that connectedness. So could I share a last thing with you? 
think about joining us on this journey. We've got three more weeks to go. Three more weeks where we're going to look at this, this topic. Trust me, New, Perf- New Church Live is a perfectly vulnerable, imperfect church. But I'd ask you just to think about joining us on this journey. This is important. This stuff matters. It doesn't matter just because, like, it makes our lives easier, but it matters. Because I think our communities need just this. Could I get a little amen on that? I think our communities, thank you, Reverend Paul. (laughs) I I I think our communities need this. And the only way we actually make change in the world is if we make change in the world. The only way we actually become agents of change in the world is by becoming agents of change in the world. The only way the world heals is when we decide that we're going to be part of the healing. Imperfect, vulnerable, clunky, blessed, filled with courage. Please think about joining us on this journey. Why? Because it matters. I'm going to close now with a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer, then you have an opportunity to just have a moment of quiet reflection, say your own prayer or the Lord's Prayer as you know it. Then our band has a raucous last song. If you decide to stand and dance for the last song, I will give you a nickel. So please join me in a prayer, and then please join the band in a wonderful last song. So, Lord, we stand here today, all of us, imperfect, vulnerable human beings, wrestling with head bullies, wrestling with the ghosts of shame. And also, Lord, in that wrestling, striving. Striving. Striving to become, as New Church holds it, heavenly own. Heavenly own, that's born of you, gifted to us, that is who we actually really are. Help us, Lord, to take journeys that lead us towards our most authentic selves. Help us, Lord, to take journeys that lead us closer to you. And Lord, help us to take those journeys that draw us closer with joy one to another. Thank you for your presence in this room today. Lord, we can feel it. Thank you for your spirit of love today. We can sense it. And thank you for the amazing words of Dr. Dan Gottlieb. We are blessed. In your name, this Sunday we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 